Hello and welcome back to another episode of On Spec. I am your host, Ryan Brath. Got a really fun show today. We're being very specific as far as what we're talking about. Uh, it is wedges. Uh, it's going to talk. We're going to go into a couple different subjects before we have an interview with Terry Kaler, uh, who's uh, been in the wedge business, been in the golf business for a long time, has really focused on wedges. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a, it's a fun conversation to have, you know, about technology and and where we see, you know, improvements or how we can see improvements within our own game. But before that, uh, I've got to ask you: Are you a diehard sports fan who wants to show the passion you have for your team on the golf course? Well, Golf Pride's MCC teams will have you doing just that. These new Golf Pride grips are available in 15 different colorways to match your favorite team, so that you can rep your team colors on every swing. MCC is the number one grip series worldwide with hybrid technology that gives you cord in the upper hand for moisture control and all rubber lower hand for the ultimate in feel. Bring your passion to the course this season with MCC teams from Golf Pride. Visit golfpride.com to shop all 15 colors today. So there we are. You know, it's a good time. You know, it's actually, it's one of those things where when it comes to grips, I think, you know, as, as we get into this really humid, hot, basically dog days of summer, I think it's when people do start to realize that, you know, maybe it's time to regrip your golf club, especially if you, uh, like, like myself, I'm not a big glove wearer. I, I wear some sometimes, again, when it gets really hot, I wear one, but it's definitely around this time of year where I realize that there are some clubs that need to get gripped, and uh, actually right now, the ones that uh, have really taken a beating with some practice have actually been uh, my wedges. And so I have actually gone through the process of regripping my wedges a couple times uh, just because, again, the, I don't wear a glove so my hands get sweaty. I try my best to clean them, but I like when they're really tacky. And it's just one of those things to consider. And you know, this is a great option. Now, when we talk about wedges, I've written a couple pieces over the last couple weeks for GolfWRX.com, which we are part of the Golf WX Radio Network. And the one thing that has been the theme is selecting the right one. Or, in some cases, making sure that you don't put a club in your bag that is uh, harmful to your golf game. And, you know, for depending on your handicap or how much you're able to practice, a lot of times that can mean a lob wedge. And I wrote a piece about that very specifically about how a lob wedge can be great for your game, but it can also be detrimental. And I think depending on... Either the courses you play or the shots that you try and hit. I mean, I, I've used this analogy, and actually I bring this up in, in our interview with Terry Kaler later on in the show, about the sports car. Everyone loves sports cars. Like, even if you are not someone who either can afford necessarily a sports car or have the ability to drive one or really have any practical reason for owning one. Maybe you need a four-door sedan or a minivan or a truck, whatever it happens to be. But when it comes to drawing people's attention, people, you know, walk by a sports car on the side of the street and go, oh, that's really cool. And they take a picture of it, right? And blades kind of play that within the golf realm. And, you know, in some cases, certain golf clubs might uh, might play that as well. And that beyond just blades, we're talking, say, low lofted three woods designed strictly for distance. Or in other cases, a 60 or a 64 degree wedge. We see them used by professionals. Phil Mickelson's a great example of someone who uses a 64 degree wedge. But if you're a player that doesn't have the opportunity to practice that much, then, you know, that can be a dangerous club to have because either 
as you open it up and as you show more face from address you're looking at it, it looks like it has a lot of club face there because it technically does but from the ball's point of view it, it really doesn't right and if you happen to be off by just a little bit with one of those golf clubs you can blade it across the green or really struggle with those kind of things and i think it's, a, it's an interesting piece to check out but the other part of this is um again something that i wrote about this week so that was last week this was this week and that is wedge fitting because as everyone knows fitting is important for every single club in your bag a lot of people now when they're getting a driver they'll they'll look for a different shaft or they talk about length even though you know anywhere from 45 to 46 is what you're going to find off the rack but then when it comes to irons everyone wants to get custom fit for their irons it's about making sure that you have the right shaft the right shaft flex the right weight the right grip the right length the right lie the right loft everything is a is a focal point when it comes to irons and when you think about that from even say like a pitching wedge to even a five iron maybe it's a four iron or it's, you start getting into your hybrids you're concerned about gapping you're concerned about you know being able to hit as like something that like hitting a playable trajectory where it lands on the green and stops you have the right spin you're able to create the right launch all of these things and people are adamant about getting fit for their irons at least I, I i feel that when i talk to golfers it's the one thing that most people get fit for and it's the because it's one of the clubs that you'll hold on to the longest as well and when people have a driver you know they may replace it say every four to five years some people hold on to their fairways for a longer period of time but then they don't get fit for those either and you know they're just they're just as important as the lower end of the bag because it could mean a, a proper having a proper layup club or having a club you can drive into like a longer par four or par five but what happens when you get there and then it comes down to your wedges and the one thing that i find most often because i play with golfers of all types of varying skill and ability is that people just buy wedges off the rack and not only that but they don't really understand what they're buying and that's the biggest issue and you know, most people when they're looking at wedges and, and Titleist, for example, has done a really good job with their pitching wedge. They started to put the loft of the pitching wedge on the golf club. And for me, at first, as a purist, I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is dumb. And I said, it, I think I don't really like it on there. And but there's a reason I don't like it on there. It's because I know what it is. I'm familiar with specs. I'm familiar with looking up golf clubs. I'm familiar with bending to make sure things fit from a gapping perspective but if someone which is a lot of golfers and i think we have to remember that as as people that are like diehard gearheads that we are really a small we are a we are a passionate but we are a small portion of the golf population so when someone say gets a set of um t200s or t300s or t100s whatever happens to you, like you get a set of those golf clubs even in the i think they even do it in the cb and the mp and you have a set of those and you go to buy wedges and you walk into the store you're talking to your pro and you know maybe you're just not a gearhead and you just you know you got maybe you got fit for them but you don't even you don't even know the loss of your golf because you don't even know the line goal of your golf club you just i got fit they sent them to me they built them i hit them they're fine and like to be honest there's a lot of tour players like that as well they don't really aren't concerned about what it is and what you have and all the stuff they're worried about trajectory and feel and dispersion and that's it they don't care what the golf clubs actually are. They just care what they do. And a lot of golfers are like that. And because of that, 
You know, someone goes into a store, talks to their pro, and they look in their club, they go, I don't know what the lot of my pitching wedge is. Well, how are you going to know what your ga- your gaps are supposed to be? And, you know, by putting that onto a golf club, putting it on that pitching wedge, then someone can at least go through the process of getting, hopefully, the right gapping. And that doesn't mean it's going to be 4-4-4 four, four, four or 5-5-5. Five, five, five. It can be 4-4-6 four, four, because of the shots that someone's going to hit or the shots they're comfortable hitting. Or the type of shots they like to hit around the green as far as, you know, maybe they like to de-loft and hit a lot of running pitch shots instead of trying to hit a lot of floppers. Because uh, I, I think, I would say statistically, it's it's definitely a safer shot for most people. That's what I talked about in one of the things that I wrote uh, recently. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to score your best and to put the ball closer to the hole. And talking about proximity and talking about uh, strokes gained. And it's funny because, like, this is all... As I'm talking now, and I didn't, I didn't, I don't mean, if you, if you were to look at my show notes, you'll realize that I don't have any, (laughs) but uh, with this in mind, it goes back to something that we talked about weeks ago when I had Sal Sayed from Arcos on, and we were talking about strokes gain and where to analyze your golf game and, and where to look at how you can really focus your practice on playing better. But that also means that you have to practice. That's the other part of that, right? I mean, you can learn something, but if you don't practice it, then that's it's neither here nor there. So getting back to what the whole, you know, there's the one of the first tangents of the day. Um, when it comes to selecting wedges, people buy them off the rack. And maybe they'll, they'll ask some questions or they'll go through the questionnaire on a, on a website from an OEM and they'll talk about their ground conditions or the, the shots they like to hit or, um, you know, do you tend to take larger divots or thinner divots? And, you know, that's that's helpful. That is really helpful um, because a lot of people have no education when it comes to, to wedges and, and those kind of things. So anything that companies can do to help is, like, is awesome. I, I fully uh, think it's a great idea, fully on board with that. But the other part of this is that when you think about your irons, what does everyone talk about? Oh, making sure you get your, your lies and your lofts and then shafts and grips and all those things. Well, lie. Lie-angle. Lie-angle is a crucial part of making sure that you can hit your targets. And one of the reasons, and this is, here you go. Here's a little, here you go, tangent number two. The One of the reasons, and one of the big reasons I got into club fitting as a kid, as a 14-year-old kid, was because when uh, I bought my first set of real golf clubs, real, I'm doing the air quote, real golf clubs, I bought a used set of Ping I-2s. And I didn't really know what I was getting. I just knew that I, when I, I kind of bought a whole bunch of stuff, I got some wedges, I got a set of irons. I was pumped to play these golf clubs. I was so excited. And I think I've told this story before. But anyways, I'm going to tell it again. I'm hitting shots out there, and I'm hitting these, like, kind of draws. And I, I was just so excited as a kid, I didn't really think anything of it. And then I went to go out and play, and because I was a kid and I didn't really have a job at the time, and I was just dropped up at the golf course every day, all I could hit were these big hooks. And it wasn't really my normal shot shape. I tried to hit a bit of a draw because as a kid, I didn't hit it that far. And I gripped it really strong and hit this draw. But it was like a pull. And I'm thinking like this, I just bought a new golf club. I spent a lot of money. It was, it felt like, especially as a kid, it felt like a fortune. And I can't hit these golf clubs. And one of the guys I was like playing with, he was a, a friend of my dad's, um, he was, he had like an old, old set of pings. So like I, I, the set that I bought was a set of I2s. And he had an, like a like a newer set, but it was like you know it was newer to him. But like they were, I think they were like zings or something. So technically newer than the I twos. 
And he's like, did you ever get them, like, checked the lying on? I never, didn't even think about it. And he goes, it looks like it's all just going left because it's like you can't do anything about it. And he goes, you should really get those looked at. So I ended up going to a, like going to Ping, uh, Ping Canada, which wasn't too far from where I lived at the time. Um, uh, booked an appointment. They bend the lying goals, and, like, my game completely changed. And I was able to hit it kind of both ways. Again, <laughs> As a, as a, like, I don't know, probably 12, 15 handicap. It felt like I could hit it both ways easily. But at least I kind of knew where it was going at that point, right? And I wasn't just hitting these, like, snap kind of pull hooks all the time. And part of the reason that's so important is because, you know, people get that checked all the time with their, their irons. But when it comes to wedges, people go, oh, I just, I'm just not a very good wedge player. And maybe there's a reason for this. Maybe you aren't selecting the right wedges. Have it be because of bounce. Or have it, and gap, the, the gapping thing is not something where, like, I'm really going to address it here because gapping will come down to the shots you hit, your pitching wedge, and how you how many wedges you really want to carry. Generally, I only carry two, but I do have a 60-degree wedge, which I will use on occasion, or 58-degree. It's my highest lofted wedge. But as you go up in loft, you will um, you will create greater spin axis because the line will have a greater effect on your left and right miss. And that was something that I, I, I touched on this week on golfdivers.com because the line, as you get into your wedges and you have that, that loft, you're going to have a greater variance in your right to left. That's why line isn't too much. I mean, it has an effect with the driver, but it's, it's less of an effect with the driver than it does on a club with more loft on it. But when people buy wedges off the rack, they don't even think about it. Maybe they'll get them regripped. They're like really worried about the finish. They're really worried about the loft gapping. They're super worried about trying to get the right bounce. And sometimes even then they don't get the right ones. If you're not going through a proper fitting or you haven't really had this discussion with someone who's able to help you really go through and fine tune your selection process. But then they just, you know, put new grips on those golf clubs and go out. And it's like, well, now my wedge game suffers. And it, it goes to your entire bag. Like when I say bag, I mean like from your like gap wedge, sandwich, lob wedge kind of thing. Every single one of those clubs is going to be affected, and most people play their wedges way too upright. And if you're curious to see a demonstration of this, there is a video that I made on, uh, it's on YouTube, it's on the Golf Direct page, you can find it embedded within the article that I wrote as well, and it shows you with a launch monitor what happens when you play a wedge that is like flatter, which is like my preferred spec, it's like three degrees flat of a standard uh, wedge, so it's uh, 60 degrees lie angle versus a wedge that is one degree upright so 60 technically it's 65 so there are five degree variance in the, the lie angles of these golf clubs and there is a massive difference in the shots that are hit with these clubs just because of the lie angle and i try and make the same swing i am not a robot i am a decent player but i and i think the numbers show that there is repeatability in the golf swing and there's also repeatability in the statistics that show that when you don't have the right loft, you're going to start missing in direction. So say you're off by a couple uh, degrees in your lie angle. At 100 yards, which is your score in golf clubs, if you're trying to line up and hit a certain shot all the time, that's more than 10 yards variance at 100 yards. That's a big difference. And if you can't figure out why you're missing the green right, right, right all the time or left, left, left all the time, depending if you're a right or left-hand golfer or your lie angles, whatever it happens to be, but if you're missing in one direction all the time, it's most likely lie angle related if you're not having that issue with any of other any other clubs in your bag especially as you get into those higher lots say you're pitching wedge to your eight iron if you can hit a, like a controlled shot with those golf clubs and you get into your wedges and you struggle there's a huge chance that it's the lie angle 
Now, if you have standard length wedges or standard length irons and you go buy off the rack wedges, they're probably going to fit you pretty close as far as length goes. I'm not going to say that they're perfect. And if you get the grips to match and you have the gapping right, I mean, you should be able to hit your targets within a certain distance all the time and not struggle. But so many people struggle with their wedges because of, well, first of all, there's technique. Wedges are a very different club to hit than, you know, depending on like trying to take um, take distance off or make a half swing or those kind of things. People generally struggle with those parts of the game. But if, if you're missing your target, especially if you're chipping, and I, part of the video I demonstrate like hitting chip shots. And again, I'm not a robot, but I've done this presentation before with people and I've put it on video as well and it's on YouTube. You can check it out. Uh, you will see how much of a variance there is and how much manipulation you have to do to get something right if you don't go through the process of getting your wedges fit properly. And that's just what I wanted to touch on today. I wanted to mention the thing from before. I wanted to mention the article from this week because, uh, you know, people are still, people are buying golf clubs like crazy right now because you can go out and play golf and people are investing in their golf game. They're investing in playing better. And if you're going to spend the money, spend it properly and get fit and make sure that what you're getting is right for you. And that's it for today. So, the next part of the show is my interview with Terry Kaler. But before we get to that, I do want to mention one more thing. Golfavenue.ca. They are a company where you can buy used clubs, you can trade in your own used clubs, and they are a great resource if you are looking for equipment. As I just said, a lot of people are getting into the game. A lot of people are trying to find maybe more budget-conscious ways to find clubs for you or your friends. I'm answering a lot of questions right now from a lot of my friends who are casual golfers who are starting to play a lot more because you know it's one of the things that you're able to do outside right now and with that in mind one of the places that i've sent friends in like i'm talking years now not just over the last couple months is golf avenue because a lot of my friends are in canada obviously i am canadian and uh and if you aren't it doesn't matter because they ship across the border no problem you pay in price you pay, you get all that you get free shipping over a certain uh value and there's just a lot of clubs to be had. There's iron sets, there's wedges, and you can categorize everything right and left-handed. And it's just a great place to shop for used golf clubs. And right now, for listeners of this podcast, or if you are someone who is a member of Golf Direct then you can go to golfdirects.com slash golfavenue, find out the whole process to not only buy golf clubs and get an extra percentage off because you are a listener of the show. But also, if you are if you have a stockpile of old clubs and you want to get rid of them and you're looking to you know, upgrade something else in your bag and maybe that means upgrading but still finding something used, then it's a great resource to go on there. That is golfavenue.ca. And if you're looking for all of the information, you can go to golfwrx.com slash golfavenue and find out more. I'm a big fan of what they do um, just because, again, as I've said many times, I have been a customer of theirs. A long time before I was even involved in Golf WRX because I'm a gearhead and I love to tinker and I love to find used stuff and I love to treasure hunt and it's a great place for that but if you're looking for stuff that's just a couple years old it's also a great resource as well. So I hope you enjoyed the topic of the day and now I'd like to inter uh, introduce my interview with Terry Kaler. So I'd like to welcome to On Spec Terry Kaler of Edison wedges. Terry, welcome to OnSpec. Yeah, it's nice to be here, Ryan. I always uh, love talking about wedges and, and uh, how people can improve their scoring. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly why I wanted to have you on today, because 
of your expertise in the wedge industry as far as and as well as obviously a long history in wedge design and you know i think so much is talked about from technology as far as where drivers have gone and how drivers have changed i'm talking about cubic centimeters and ball speed and all these kind of things but one of the things that we we have seen and i've, I've written about in like on golf wrx is how wedge design hasn't changed too much and how it's also still very misunderstood as far as you know creating ball speed and creating spin uh, because we're seeing lots of technology in the space from oems but how does that transfer to the other golfers as well as when you think about how many options there are for things like bounce i've someone who's worked in golf retail from like you know as a kid people would come and say what bounce do i need and i'm like well let's talk about your conditions and people just give you that blank stare so what is your experience when helping golfers find the right bounce as well as your philosophy when it comes to designing wedges well you know if we look at, at wedge dialogue for the last 20 or 30 years from all the major OEMs, fitters, everybody. We're focused on two things, bounce and sole grinds uh, and, and face textures, grooves, in you know, texture in between the grooves, those kind of things. And we'll come back to this, but there's so much more to a wedge than those two things. But let's, let's stay focused on your question about bounce. So for a wedge to be effective, it has to have some bounce, which, you know, to get LME, you know, Golf WX readers are a little more gearhead than most, but Bounce is the downward angle of the sole from the leading edge back to the trailing edge. And a club with no bounce is basically a shovel because the club is going to make a downward blow on the ground just by nature of a golf swing. So the more severe that angle of bounce, the wider the sole, which interacts with the angle. You can't talk about bounce angle without talking about sole width because they're, they're, they're totally interdependent. That basically defines this rejection quality for lack of a better term of how aggressively that club is going to reject from the turf so tour players which is where most of this bounce and grind technology is coming from for the for the companies that really are into all these various grinds and they admit they're developing these by working with this tour player or that tour player and my experience over my career working with tour players is these guys are, they have senses of feel and, and perception of what a golf club is doing that even the best amateur doesn't have. But the best amateur spends some of his day in the stock market or selling insurance or cars or something, and the tour player spends his entire day fiddling with his golf clubs and seeing what they do. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have those other things that we have. Yeah, yeah. So these guys have these trem tremendously refined senses of touch. And you know, a master like Bob Vokey, Roger Cleveland, Aaron Dill, Mike Taylor, these guys can take a tour player back and forth from the grinding wheel outside, grinding wheel outside. They can shave a couple of thousandths of an inch off the heel and that tour player goes, ooh, yeah, I like that a lot better. The rest of us, we have no ability to feel that. Um, so, you know, you have to have bounce in a golf club. Now, how much bounce should you have? What kind of grind should you have? Personally, I think grinds are overrated for recreational players. Like we don't have the skills these guys have to interpret these different grinds. Now, with that, in, with mind, that in mind, I'm going to ask a quick question. Do you think people use too little bounce in their wedges? Because that's what I found in, like, fitting. I find a lot of amateur players don't actually use enough. No, I think you're right. I think a lot of bounces are too low. Um, but, again, I think that depends so much on – what you're what kind of lies you're typically encountering and one of my challenges to the concept of bounce fitting is that no golf course has the same turf throughout 
no golfer has the same swing path throughout a round of golf. I mean, even you watch the best players on tour, sometimes they nip that wedge without even touching the turf almost. And next time the guy takes a divot, looks like a beaver pelt. And that's because he's doing different things to hit different kinds of shots. The recreational player, my study of over 50,000 golfer profiles in wedge fitting, 80 plus percent of golfers of all skill levels say they take different size divots. Well, then you're not really a sweeper or a digger or a glider or whatever the people want to call you because you admitted you take different divots either on purpose or accidentally. So if that's going to happen, how am I going to fit your swing path if it's going to be varying? By the same token, you know, this lie, you hit it over on the side of the green where the cart path is. So people walk up and back and forth to the green there. That turf is more packed than if you would have missed it on the offside. It's, so in the same golf hole, you have two different kinds of turf. Well, how am I going to buy bounce for that? But I think you're right. People, you're, you're probably much less likely to get handicapped and hurt by having too much bounce than you will by having too little. I mean, the golf club is coming into the ball, even with a wedge for an average player, the golf ball is, the golf club is coming in at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. And, and you have the earth there. Unless it's a really severe hard pan, that club is going to want to dig some. It's just, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. And so what I always tell people that I think helps wedge play, and it's kind of related to the bounce, is if you think of your golf club, you know, the, the wedge is exactly that. The loft goes up from the angle of, you know, the horizontal plane, and the bounce goes down. So the, the leading edge of this golf club is, in fact, a wedge. And to me, one of the simplest concepts of wedge play is to think about wedging that club between the earth and the ball. Make, make the club go between the earth and the ball. The ball will go up, the club will reject from the turf. But, you know, again, I think you're right that most golfers are not skilled enough to handle a club with, you know, five, six, eight degrees of bounce, you know, as, as a low bounce golf club, unless they play, you know, like in Scotland or somewhere where the turf is almost always really yes. tight. <laughs> and then you can, you can get away with those kind of golf clubs. And I think a lot of a lot of companies have really talked about how the fact that they'll put the bounce number on the club is actually generally depending on the wedge they're putting it on will be effectively lower or sorry effectively higher than the bounce because people want a lower bounce but they know it's kind of like almost like vanity lofting used to be in drivers although companies have really gotten away from that because of so much more measuring that goes into it as well as uh, you know, because every company that's going to build a custom driver, talking aftermarket, talking custom shops, they're going to be lofting those drivers relative to what the player was hitting, so they get the exact spec. Um, and then I can I can think of an example where like there was a, a very popular wedge that came out, and I spent an entire summer grinding the heel off of this grind because people kept buying this wedge because it was like the new one, uh, and it was again very specific grinding off for a bunch of different ones. And I just spent all summer grinding the heel off these wedges. It's like, what happened? Well, I tried to open the face and I skull it. And I'm like, well, yeah, because this is not the wedge for you. This is not the wedge you're supposed to be using. And that's why did you buy it? It's just, well, it's the one that everyone's like talking about. And I'm like, well, that's yes, okay. Well, that's that's great. But like, does it work for you? Everyone talks. If everyone talked about 30 inch pant waist, and I tried to go and try 30 inch pants waist. Let me tell you, it's gonna be a real mess. So um, <laughs> now, I just I get like. I think another part of it too is also um, from a consistency standpoint, we see, um, and don't get me wrong, I like, I'll admit, I like to use blade irons as well. Uh, but having something that's really forgiving, we talk about cavity backs and how much they can benefit average players. Again, I like blades, but I also like cavity backs too. I'm a regular golfer. 
But when it comes to wedges and weight distribution, we see so much low. And But for irons, we talk about retaining ball speed. But then with wedges, we just talk about spin. But spin and ball speed and consistency as far as carry distance and distance control is so important. Um, do you think that, like, because obviously talking about Edison wedges, there's a weight distribution challenge for designing a wedge that looks traditional, but you know doesn't that doesn't offer the performance benefit. Whereas something like the wedge that you design, you design, sorry, um, have a performance benefit that also creates extra ball speed, so it's more consistent, as well as you know creating extra spin because of center gravity control. Well, I think that regardless of your skill level, whether you're a tour player or a twenty handicapper, there are really three things that, that you just have to get from your wedges. And one is consistent launch angle, because that helps determine consistent distance. Consistent distance is what wedge play is all about, whether you're a tour player or whether you're a 20 handicapper. When you're, you know, pick a yardage, you're 105 and, and to you that's a gap wedge, a 50 degree, for example, you need it to go 105. And if you hit it low in the face, you don't want it to go 110. If you hit it high in the face, you don't want it to go 90 you need that ball to go 105 and and you're going to hit it around a one inch sphere around the face i mean you're even the tour players if you look at i was looking at stats yesterday with a guy and the best guys on tour from 100 to 125 yards are averaging 16 18 feet from the hole the best guys well we all know they stuff one to a foot every once in a while well, that means they're hitting some of their 80 and 100 yard shots, 110 yard shots, 40, 50, 60 feet. How does a tour quality player do that? Well, what we've learned in robotic testing on wedges is the smash factor, which no other wedge person out there talks about smash factor in wedges. That's usually reserved for drivers. But your wedge has a smash factor and every listener you have knows that shot that's sitting up a little high in the rough you feel impact high in the face because it's very thin. It just doesn't have a solid feel to it. And before you ever look up, you know it's going to be in the front bunker or the creek or the pond or something worse. That's a, that's a function of the golf club. If you hit a contemporary wedge, tour design wedge, on the high part of the face, above the third of the way up, the smash factor of that golf club drops by 20 and 25%. So you can't get the distance out of that shot it also loses a tremendous amount of spin. And so it pops up in the air. So you have all these, these things that are affecting golf ball performance. And I, I zero in on two big terms, smash factor and gear effect. And every golf club has those two things from driver to putter. But you, you have the efficient transfer of energy. You know, you wouldn't allow a driver to penalize you 30 or 40 yards if you missed it a quarter of an inch or a half an inch. You would not buy that driver. You know, the reason everybody plays cavity back irons is because I can hit that six iron, seven iron all over the face and I can get pretty good results out of it because I'm a recreational player. I hit it all over the face. The big MOI putters, you know, the big mallet putters, you know, which are very prevalent now, you don't have to hit that putt dead center to get to get to transfer your energy to get the roll on the ball. But somehow wedges have gotten left out of that whole forgiveness conversation. And I think that's absurd because these are your money clubs. And you know, one of the things you mentioned that you play blades and what you probably don't realize is your muscle back blade, nine iron and pitch are actually more forgiving, have a more consistent smash factor than your gap in your sandwich have. So you're playing a less forgiving golf club where it really counts 
then you're playing, you know, out there at, at 140 or whatever you hit a nine iron. You're a young guy. You probably hit nine iron 150 or 60 or something. But not, not even close. <laughs> but, but I appreciate that. <laughs> but, but the point being is that that nine iron and pitching wedge, that muscle back forging, the weight is distributed up and down the back of that golf club more vertically than it is on your wedge. So I'm kind of rambling here, but I think it's very important for golfers to understand that the bounce is important in a wedge, the grooves are important in a wedge, but what's really important is the design of that club head is going to determine ball performance. And, you know, we look at drivers. We've got carbon crowns. The driver guys are all pursuing higher launch, lower spin, right? That's what all of them are pursuing. But how are they getting that? By taking all the weight out of the top of the golf club and putting it in the very bottom of the golf club because that launches, because of gear effect, that launches the ball high with no spin. Well, if you look at your tour design wedge, pick a brand, it doesn't matter. Where's all the weight? All the weight is in the very bottom of the golf club. So by design, that golf club wants to launch the ball high with no spin. Then you add 50, 55, 60 degrees aloft to aggravate high launch. And it's no wonder golfers can't control their ball flight and their spin and their distance control. It's built into the golf club. It's a, and, and I've shown you pictures, I've shown other people pictures. Go look at wedges from the 50s, 60s, 80s. They all look alike. They look just like the ones that are on the market today. So we haven't changed this golf club, but you know, we're just, I mean, we wouldn't accept that. Nobody's still playing persimmon. They're prettier to look at than these big 460cc clubs. They feel better when you hit it in the sweet spot, but they're very penalizing. So nobody yeah. plays. Yeah, I, um, it's funny because like I've gotten into like playing persimmon just for fun. And they're definitely when you when you're having an off day, all I all I kind of makes you wonder to myself, I'm like, you know, I'm a fairly low handicap player. And like if I have an off day with a persimmon driver, I'm all over the place. And it's like, what the heck's going on? Like it's really struggling, like scoring struggles. But if you're on with it, it's it's great. But I'm like, what does a 15 handicap did? What did a 15 handicap play with one of these 25, 30 years ago? That to me is insane. Um now you 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 actually again you mentioned a really good point there and I, I want to get into this is that um, loft on a wedge because I wrote a, I wrote a piece uh, last week about how the sixty degree wedge for the average player is actually a very dangerous club because a lot of people they either try and open it up and you know we're we're in an audio conversation here but as you open that face up from the direction of the golf ball, you know, it may look like the face is two and a half, three inches tall, but in reality, you only have say half an inch to really make contact there. And if you think about lower on the face to be able to control the ball as best as possible, you only have a half an inch of variance there to actually create some, some uh, like some spin and create like something that's going to be controllable really in reality. And if you skull it, then well, you know, you've hit a 60 yard, 60 degree wedge when in reality you want to hit a 10 yards. Uh, do you do you generally go like would you say what would be like the highest lofted wedge you would recommend to like a recreational player? Well, I think that's different for everybody, Ryan. I think in general you're you're on target. The higher loft of golf club, the more difficult it is to make solid contact. Because, you know, by by nature, a wedge, even when you start at 48, 50, 54 degrees, this is a pretty glancing blow of the golf ball compared to a five iron, for example. So your seven iron, for example, you know, when you get that loft cranked up to 50, 52, 55, 58, 60, you're making a very glancing blow. And to your point, that face is laid back. So you're looking down, you're seeing a whole lot of face, yeah. but vertically you've got about a half an inch to three quarters of an inch of face that, that, that you're really working with. And I, I believe high loft wedges 
should be chosen based on your ability to, to, to master that golf club. And I, I have some friends that are 12, 14 handicaps that are really good with their 60, 62s around the green, but they're rare. I yeah. think that <laughs> average player, I mean, I find even that what I tend to do a lot, when you think, I, I go back, I'm, I'm a classicist. I love the old Hogan, Nelson, Sneed, Demerit, and on up and through Miller, Watson, Nicholas era. And nobody carried over a 56 degree wedge. Most sand wedges were even 55. And they pitched the ball with their pitching wedge a lot because the pitching wedge was 50 or 51 degrees. And what happens for, I think, the recreational player, and I, I find I use my 53 as kind of my go-to unless I just have to have height on a shot around the green. Because even from 25 and 30 yards, I have enough club head speed to put enough spin on that 53 degree club and I'm less likely to get distance deviations off of it. Now granted I'm cheating, I'm playing that as some wedges. And so, you know, those are, I mean, they're just much more forgiving of vertical mishits, but even with a conventional wedge, if you go down into your, into your pitching wedge and, and, and we move pitching wedges to 45 degrees and we make them look like five iron. So they're really not pitching wedges anymore. And I, in fact, just this week in the article, I talked about muscle back blade, nine iron and pitch and go borrow some of those from your pro or one of your buddies that plays blades. You'll be surprised how forgiving these golf clubs are. You know that from your own experience, you might sacrifice a little bit at that four, five, six iron, but you make up for it for what you get out of your eight, nine and pitch with those muscle backs because you feel like you can drive tax with them when you're in prime scoring range, right? That's why you play the blade. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> So, but they're not as penalizing um, in the in the short clubs. And but you know, with the high back to your high loft question, I think that a golfer, if you're enamored with the idea of a 60 or 62, you know, go go put one in your bag and play a few rounds and just just chart your progress. And did it really save you strokes or did it not? And if it saved you strokes, play it. But you know, most people have a hard time taking as full a cut as they need to. And I I personally believe anything over about 57 or eight degrees is a greenside tool only. It's not a 50, 60, 80 yard and damn sure not a full swing golf club. It is a greenside specialized tool when I need loft and, and stopping power on a short shot. And because what happens with loft is, you know, you think about DeChambeau recently, and the, the news is he's playing a 5.5 degree driver. Okay, his putter probably has three degrees on it. Well, he can get a 5.5 degree driver in the air because he's got 135 mile an hour club head speed. So club head speed makes the ball go airborne. If you look at the tour players, they all hit these high towering shots now because they're swinging so hard. So club head speed makes the ball go airborne. And around the green, if you need some loft on a shot with, you know, a 15 mile an hour club head speed, you need that loft built into the golf club because you don't have the club head speed to make the ball go up. Whereas from 40 yards, that 53 degree will give you plenty of loft. Yeah. And from, and it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a perfect point. And like my, my reference, my point of reference is always like, I play with a lot of amateur golfers. Uh, but the one person that I always reference is my dad because he's like your regular 15 handicap plays a couple times a week. And I remember there was a period of time when he was using like a 52, 56, 60. And he would always, it was like the 60 club. He's like, I don't really use it that often. I said, well, why do you carry it then? Right? Like, well, you could put an extra fairy wood in the bag or something like that. And as soon as he went to like a, a newer cavity back set of irons, and he'd always played more forgiving stuff anyways, but he got a new set of irons and he got the 50 degree gap wedge with the set. 
and we went right to a like a 54 and a 58. And I like I said, like you know, 58, just don't don't chip with it. Just just use it for out of the out of the sand. And like again, for a guy that doesn't practice ever, his short game got way better. Because he wasn't mm-hmm. thinking to himself, he wasn't and he like he wasn't thinking, oh, okay, I'm Phil Mickelson, I'm gonna try and flop one over the bunker here. It was like a decision-making process as well as an equipment change. And I know there's data from Arcos. I remember seeing it uh, last or early this year where they showed all the lofts of wedges and like the distance people hit them. And then like, for some reason they kind of joked is like, if you look at the 64 degree wedge, there's actually this weird jump. There's actually a spike above the 60. It's like, well, if we look at that and you extrapolate that over all the golfers, it's probably because they're sculling it. <laughs> and they had yeah. data to prove that like it was a, is a club that people struggled with at certain handicaps because of the, the amount of loft on it created more difficulty to hit. And again, to your point, which is perfect. I think it makes a really good um, argument for weight distribution and selecting loft is we see these tour players hit wedges and they hit these high lofted wedges and they spin them like crazy from 20 yards. But the reason is they are precise and they have a ton of speed. And if you're around the green as a regular golfer trying to achieve that, and you've got a club that has not enough bounce or, you know, doesn't have something that's going to be actually forgiving for your swing and you can't create that speed well if you try and hit that shot you're either going to dig the club into the ground because you're not approaching the ball properly or you're going to hit it really far because again that low miss because you have such a small area to actually achieve you know the 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 right goal whereas with a driver less loft you have this big face you know swing away exactly and and you know the thing about people don't realize about tour players is the worst short game on the PGA Tour is better than the best amateur you've ever seen. Because these guys are magical around the greens because they spend hours and hours and hours. Because if you look at tour players, so, you know, the leading guys on the tour have a 69-70 scoring average, but they're only hitting 12, 13 greens around. Well, if they're, if they're scoring at two or three under par on average and they're missing five or six greens on average, that means they have a pretty magical short game. They're getting up and down from everywhere because they know they have to, because nobody out on the tour is beating the green, beating the golf course from tee to green. Nobody out there is hitting 16, 17 greens around. And so they, they have to have these mags and they play fast greens, firm greens, you know, deep rough around the greens. They have to have magical short games or they don't get to be a tour player. They got to go find something else to do for a living. And nobody on the tour has a crappy short game. It's just, you can't stay out there with one. But yet, you know, the average good player at the club, the best ball strikers at your club, they hit 12 or 13 greens around, and they're two handicapped. The yeah, it's, over 13, he's a plus five. <laughs> How can that be? They're better putters, and they're better short game practitioners because they practice it incessantly. And, you know, and, and I think that people have to realize, and I go back to my, my comment about your blades, less than 2% of golfers are playing – a muscle back blade like you play less than 2%. 98% are trying to play a tour wedge. Okay. This is a terrible disconnect because I know for a fact, your muscle back pitching wedge is more forgiving than your tour gap wedge. It is more forgiving of mishits. So golfers and why is everybody playing a tour wedge? Cause that's the only thing that's on the rack at the retail store. There's not a lot of variety in wedges and I go back and, and I'm, I would like to throw this out to you. And I sent you a picture of these two wedges that Ben Hogan delivered to Jack Fleck at the 1955 U.S. Open. We were just talking about that before the show. Yeah. They're remarkably identical to what's on the rack today. 
But think if you erased all the driver technology from Persimmon to today's drivers, the TaylorMade Sim and the Callaway Maverick and the Titleist, whatever number and the Ping and whatever. What if you erased all the interim technology, the TaylorMade Tour Preferred, the Big Bertha, the Great Big Bertha, the Biggest Big Bertha, the First Adjustable, you know, the TaylorMade White Monster and all of these things. The, the quantum leap from persimmon to today's drivers would blow people away, wouldn't it? I mean, they're 50 yards longer. 50 yeah, it's, yards. It's, it's pretty insane. Like, uh, again, like as someone who has, enjoys playing persimmon woods and going out once in a while and playing old stuff from the 50s with a 52-degree pitching wedge and, and things like that, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable when you, like, I'll hit a great drive and then I'll go play the same hole the next day with my normal driver. And I'll be like, I am literally 50 yards longer exactly. and it's it's, so, it's amazing how the, it changes the course as well but that's like that's a whole nother topic so so if you look at wedges i can show you wedges on the rack in the retail store that if you peel the graphics off of it you peel the graphics off those 1960 model wedges this is 60 years of of, of golf and the clubs are almost identical because they're a molded piece of metal what you see is what you get and if all the weight is in the bottom of the golf club like it is with every wedge on the rack, you're going to get high launch minimal spin, which you mentioned you wanted to talk about grooves and spins. So maybe that's a good segue to talk about spin. Yeah. So, and that again, it's a perfect segue. So when we talk about spin generation, and I know like as someone who has, has done a lot of research within TrackMan and, and, uh, and just launch monitors in general and how to hit what people on, te on televisions think of, you know, I always joke with when I, when people go to the driving range at a PJ tour event, the first thing you always hear is like, man, they hit it so high. And I'm like, yeah, cause they have a ton of club speed and they don't spin the ball. But then you go watch them hit their wedges. And the next thing you hear is they hit it so low. <laughs> and, and it's because they, they create a ton of friction and they drive it low into the ground because of their dynamics. And then you watch a, uh, again, you watch a, an amateur player try and hit this shot at a, at a driving range or something like that. And they're basically just like plugging the wedge into the ground because of, of the, like the difficulty they have trying to create that shot or they see it and then they go and try and recreate it. And it takes a lot of practice to be able to do that because it, it really is a technique thing. But you have with Edison Wedges tried to bring the ability for, for recreational players to hit that shot by really adjusting center of gravity. And we see that your wedges look different. And well, so what is it about them that allows them to not only just, again, talk about all the things you've already talked about, Smash factor, spin, and forgiveness. How does that well, translate? So if you look at tour players, and I think you made a good point, you know, tour players, if you look at the wear pattern on their wedges, there's like a half moon on the bottom of the wedge, the bottom three or four or five grooves. You look at the wear pattern for most amateurs, it's a circle three or four grooves higher than that. Because the tour player is playing very close crop fairways that we amateurs typically don't play. And that tour player has perfected, as you pointed out, trapping the ball and hitting it down on those bottom three or four grooves where the mass of that wedge is behind impact. So when we do our smash factor testing, that smash factor down in the bottom of the golf club is 1.17, 1.18, which means the ball is leaving the club 17, 18% faster than the club is moving. But up high on the face, it's 0.92 to 9.5, only a half an inch higher than that. So you're gonna, if you, if you change your transfer of energy from 118% to 95%, it's obviously the ball can't go as far, right? Yeah. And that's why amateur golfers are hitting their wedges shorter and higher because they are hitting it higher in the face and that club doesn't allow that. When I set out to create these wedges and I've been doing wedges as you noted for 30 years and I've always kind of creeped up on it. And I finally said, you know what? To heck with creeping up, I'm just gonna, 
take everything behind the face of the golf club and rearrange it. And I have a sole design and the rest of it, I just, I just padded the back of the golf club with as even a distribution of mass as I could possibly get. The top half of our club weighs almost three times what the top half of everybody else's weighs. And because of that, when you hit it high in the face, instead of that 0.92 or 95 smash factor, we're giving you a 1.08 smash factor. So the ball's gonna go further. That's, that's just equalizing smash factor like you do on your driver. So that that toe hit, that heel hit, that high low, they all go about the same. My question was, why do I want my wedges to be more finicky than my driver? No, I want, if I hit it somewhere in the face, I want it to go that 105 or 80 or 120, whatever my number is. And I don't want to be penalized for a quarter inch miss or a half inch miss. So when we did that, we equalized the smash factor, which gave us lower launch angles, more consistent distance when you miss the ball around the face. But the ancillary benefit of that was we tremendously improved gear effect so that when you hit the ball high in the face, you don't lose the spin like you do with other wedges. So we saw that tour player hits it low with a lot of spin. We saw on tour wedges and robotic testing where you're not talking quality of contact, you're not trapping the ball, you're seeing what the ball does off the face of the golf club. We saw spin deviation of 40 to 60% with conventional tour design wedges. You got the most spin low in the face, the old about thin to win category, right? Yeah. You got the least spin high in the face and on the toe. So we saw a 40 to 60% variation in spin, and we reduced that because of this back design to where you have about a 15% variation in spin. So the high face shot flies like a good one. It spins like a good one. Therefore, it lands on the green like a good one. And so it's really simple. Anybody could do it. It's I just... I'm not concerned about tour players. I'm fueled by when an eight or 12 or 15 handicapper, your dad, you says, I'm hitting more good wedge shots than ever before. Your best wedge shots are always going to be good. I don't care what kind of wedge you play. You occasionally knock the flag down. That's not the shot I'm worried about. That one isn't the one that's running up your score. It's that, that shot that was in the rough and you hit it high in the face and it plugged under the lip of the bunker. I wanted that shot to clear the bunker and give me a 15, 18 up here, you know, foot uphill putt instead of a plugged under the bunker lip. Yeah. And, and that's what these clubs do. It's something that I talk about a lot uh, when I like on the show and I try and write up pieces and stuff. It's like, you know, you know, there's so much focus on tour players and I love, I love following the tour. Like it's, it's just, it's something that's always very like interesting. There's all kinds of like trends that you'll start to see that do seep their way. It's almost, I kind of joke that it's like fashion, right? You'll see something really cool in fashion on like a, on a, runway and then it kind of translates down to like the regular player although it might not always be the same you're getting to see like these really cool new things but in reality being able to you know you couldn't you couldn't go work at your normal office job and something off the runway i know that's a bad analogy but it's kind of the same thing right like something that's geared for tour players isn't always going to be the best for um uh like regular golfers and we see it at golf Tour actually like a blade article will get a t like a ton of interest on it because of you know the it's like sports car. Actually, I use a car analogy, right? You go to mm -hmm. a, a car website, everyone reads the, the supercars. The really rich guys, the, the people that are close to maybe wanting to buy a supercar, and you got a bunch of people who drive minivans, but they're still going to read the supercar article. But then, mm -hmm. you know, when they go out to buy a car, they're not buying a supercar because they got a family, they got a couple kids. Uh, they're going to buy the minivan. And that's yeah, exactly. where it's like, you know, it is cool. And there's technology in that supercar that made Merrick work its way down to a minivan one day and whatever it happens to be crash safety and all these things. And it's kind of the same thing with 
with wedges or with golf clubs in general. If you gave a smaller driver to tour players, they'd hit it just as far. I, I honestly think maybe their misses will be worse, but that's a ball debate thing. So I'll, I'm just going to stop my part of that conversation right there. But <laughs> then we get into, you know, how can we help regular golfers play better? And that's why I talk about playing cavity backs. I talk about playing more fairy woods, get rid of your low lofted fairy wood, get something that's going to carry further. And it, that whole thing translates down to wedges. And I think that's why we see even some players now, like you see matching wedges in sets, like a gap wedge, because in reality, it's, it's an old school pitching wedge, say 50 degrees. And then you get something where you get into those higher lofted wedges where players will struggle. And I see it all the time. Guy will come in very like maybe sweeping because they're used to, they're very shallow player and they're again, higher handicap or regular golfer. We're talking say a 15 to 20 handicap. And it just comes up like 30 yards short because they hit it high in the face and it goes nowhere. It's like, well, why don't you have something like you can hit that same shot with your eight iron and it works fine, but it doesn't equate to hitting that shot with your wedges. And if you want to be able to play more consistently, having something that's going to help you do that will help you score better. So look at something that's going to be more forgiving. Exactly. And, you know, to, before we leave the, the groove thing, you know, we, we kind of got off of that, but, you know, the, groove, the rules governing grooves were changed in 2010, 10 years ago. So the USGA has not allowed us to do anything different in wedges than we were allowed to do 10 years ago. Now, with everybody talking about grooves, you'd think there have been quantum leaps. What we have learned to do is be more precise in our machining, and we can give a little closer to that rule that they've written because we can control machining of grooves a little tighter. But we did testing with our robotic laboratory out in California. We, at his request, we made identical wedges with no grooves at all and grooves so that we could quantify what do grooves really do all by themselves. Now, granted, this is on an Edison wedge, not a somebody else's wedge, but we found that on a dry ball, now bear in mind, this is a completely dry impact surface. Grooves only added about 15% spin. The spin was determined by the club head design itself, okay? Grooves have really one purpose on the golf club, and that is to increase the coefficient of friction a little bit and to channel away moisture and grass. So when we injected a spray of moisture on that grooveless wedge, I mean, spin went down by like 70% and distance went up by like 20 yards because it just knuckleballed off of it. Everything was but, a flyer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then that's a flyer. And one of the things that we've done, and I've had feedback from really good players with our wedges saying, I don't get flyers anymore. And that's because the flyer comes from, you know, reduced spin and, and that high in the face shot, typically out of the rough is when you get that flyer because you get the grooves filled with grass and you don't have a gear effect working for you and, and you don't have any spin, so you get that flyer. Because of our head design, even when the grooves fill with grass, you're still getting the, the gear effect of that club head. So you're still getting spin and lower launch. You're not gonna get as much of a flyer. I think you still get some flyer, but I've experienced that in the two years I've been playing the various prototypes of these. Just, you don't find yourself over the greens unless you hit it in the eyebrows and I'm a club guy, I can't fix that. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you hit it right in the eyebrows or if you lay the sod on it, I'm sorry, we club guys can't fix that. Some claim they can, but we can't. So, From so, sorry, go ahead. So it's, the grooves are really about the coefficient of friction, and even the companies that are touting all their groove technologies, they're not quoting numbers, and if you do pin them down, they'll talk about two or three or 400 RPMs. Well, when you're spinning it at 7,000, 300 RPMs doesn't really make a difference. 
That's the difference between hitting that little high spot in the green that's kind of dry versus a foot to the left of it that's a little low spot that's kind of softer. Or there was an old pitch mark in the green, so that area is softer. It's not 300 RPMs doesn't make a difference. 3,000, yeah, now you're talking a difference. And what you'll find, and, and again, the side benefit of, of, of attacking smash factor and gear effect was this tremendous increase in spin. And I've had so many 12 and 15 handicappers tell me I've never spun wedges like this before. Well, that's not the grooves. We're doing the same thing with grooves everybody else does. We're holding the tightest tolerances we can, pushing the USGA limit to the max. Everybody's doing it. Nobody's got a groove that's better than anybody else's groove. I don't care what they say, that not meaningfully better. Nobody's got, if you have old wedges and the grooves are worn out and you could eat soup off the face of your wedge because it's so dished out, yeah, you're probably losing spin. Yeah, I, I had a friend that had a wedge like that when we were kids and he finally got a new one and he was short on everything for about a week. <laughs> Couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, right. Now, there's a couple of things I want to I want to finish off on here because I think you make a really good point. And we've talked about transitioning from driver technology to wedge technology. And I think this is something that I've, I've, again, I've talked about this a lot in the past. And it's something that I think golfers really need to get in their heads. When we talk about a, a driver and moving center of gravity and, and using uh, multi-material, an average driver weighs between 200 and 205 grams. And that's it. So we talk about moving mass engineers only have 205 grams to work with. In some cases, maybe 207. I think the, the G410 plus is about 208. So that's one of the heaviest drivers. It's also one of the most stable drivers on the market. Then we get into irons. Irons are roughly 270 grams for a seven iron. And then you go up and down seven grams, give or take a little bit, depending on the build and all kinds of other factors. But roughly speaking, they design around 280, or sorry, 268 to 270 for a seven iron. But with wedges, you have the most amount of mass because you're dealing with a shorter golf club. And I would say uh, you're, you're going to have a better uh, explanation than I am, but I generally think of like, say a sand wedge or a lob wedge between 298 and 302, roughly right. around that area. Yeah. Yeah. So you have the most amount of mass in a smaller compact head than a driver, which means you have the opportunity to move more center of gravity pull it further away in a smaller club it, although it's not hollow like a driver. It's you, but you have that, which again, can create a huge difference versus something that looks technologically very similar to something that is much older. Well, you're right. And you're, you're dealing with, in most wedges, there's a couple of wedges that are doing some insert stuff and that's minor, but you're, you're dealing with a molded piece of metal. And so when you look at a wedge, you pretty much look at it and tell is it really different from the next one? You know, ignore the graphics because that doesn't matter. That doesn't affect playability. Look at where the mass is on the golf club. And as you walk down the rack in one of the big retail stores, brand A to brand B to brand C, there isn't a lot of difference with very few exceptions. But even on a wedge with that 300 grams of mass, you can't move 10 and 15 grams and affect the CG. I mean, you've got to move a lot of weight to, to make a meaningful difference. And I mentioned earlier, if you cut that wedge horizontally, you know, at say one third of the way up the face, which is about where center of impact is. If you cut that club horizontally one third of the way up the face, the top half of our face weighs almost triple what anybody else's weighs. So now we're moving enough weight up there to make a real difference. And some people say, well, your top line is thicker. Well, I can bevel off the back of it if you want it to, but there's a reason for that. I'm moving mass high in that golf club so that when you hit it up there high on the golf club, there's some meat behind that ball so that you can, you know, you can get a transfer of energy, as I mentioned, 
Um, and so I think most people in wedges have been afraid to vary too much from, you know, the traditional design of wedges. When I did Reed Lockhart in the 90s and, and Eidolon in the early 2000s, I thickened the top of the blade about 50% thicker than everybody else's, but it still looked pretty conventional at a glance. When I did the score wedges, I went to a progressive weighting scheme. So now these didn't look like anybody's wedges. And as I, and I carried that into the TK wedges with Hogan and, and this wedge, I've, I've said, I'm not creeping up on anything. I'm just going to take the, the golf club and redesign the back of the golf club so that every gram is where I want it to be for performance sake. And I don't care if it looks like other wedges. It can't look like other wedges. You know, there's an old design statement about form follows function. And that's no more true than it is in anywhere than it is in a wedge. If, if, if the back of the wedge looks like everybody else's wedge, it's going to work like everybody else's wedge because form follows function. Yeah, and it's, it's a great point because I think when we talk about um, adjusting equipment and you know th things that are revolutionary or things that are really make people think about their gear, um, clubs that you can think, and I know there's gonna be a lot of ping examples here just because Karsten was a freaking genius, but like, yeah, the answer people thought it was ugly. People thought, what the heck is the answer putter? Like, why is this, this is so odd. Go to Iraq now, everyone has an answer putter. I don't care what name you call it. It's an answer style putter. And right. you can look at uh, another example and it's similar to your wedge as well. And it's, I think it's, it's really relevant. It's like the ping zing or the ping zing two had this, a lot of mass higher in the face. The sole was a little thinner. I used to have a set of them. I, I thought they were really cool. People look there like it's kind of odd, but then, you know, you're missing out on the toe and there's all this mass there and the ball just keeps going because that is what you created in a wedge is be able to redistribute mass, create more consistency. Like we talk about this with other products, we talk about with drivers, fairwoods, irons, all that, all these things. But then when we talk about wedges, it's like, again, and I do it. And I, th I think it's important to, you know, tell both sides of it, right? We're, we're talking about performance. We're talking about how it relates to tour players and what they see, but we also have to bring it down to regular golfers. And, you know, if we talk about that redistribution, why don't we talk about a wedge? And I think that's what you're doing. And I think that's, it's, it's really cool because it does, it, it's the ability to change people's minds and help them. Hopefully, potentially, that's what we're always trying to do. Play better golf. Exactly. And I mean, that's why we buy equipment, you know, and kind of, I know you want to finish up, but you know, we did a survey last summer of, of the readers of the wedge guy there on off WRX. And, and one of the questions, a lines of question was, you know, how long have you had your current wedges? You know, why did you buy these wedges? You know, and we offered a number of reasons. Well, if we were to ask the, the question, why did you buy your last driver? A hundred percent of the answers would either be longer, straighter, or both, right? <laughs> Nobody buys a driver without expecting something better out of it. What was really blew me away was 18% of the people said they bought wedges with the expectation of, of getting better. Four out of five wedge buyers don't even have an expectation of getting better anymore. That's sad, isn't it? Yes, you wedges over and over and over and you've seen no change. And I've heard this so much at demo days, Ryan, and golfers say, well, I'm just a crappy wedge player. Well, why do you think you're a crappy wedge player? Well, I've played all the top brands. I played this, A and B and C. I said, but, but look at them. You've played the same golf club with three different sets of graphics on it. You didn't change the shape, the style, but yet you've done that with your irons. You've done that with your driver. It's, you know, you've got to change the golf club if you're going to change the performance. And when you're too young to remember when Big Bertha actually first came out on the market. 
or, or when the Ping Answer came on the market. I'm old enough, unfortunately, to remember the first answer <laughs> and the Big Bertha. But when the Ping Answer came out, everybody looked at it, that's the stupidest looking thing I've ever seen because 8802s and bullseyes and, and, and Ray Cook mallets dominated the landscape. And here's this goofy looking plumber's fixture. And Al Guyberger, I think, was the first one to win with it. Next thing you know, like you said, every golfer in the world has had an answer style putter now, whether you still use it or not. But it was such a brilliant departure from the norm. When Big Bert the first came out, we have the little bitty TaylorMade and Langert and everybody else's Metalwood. And people saw the first Big Bertha and said, that's the stupidest looking thing I've ever seen until you hit it. And then it was like cheating because it was so good. And so, you know, when you look at, at, at the things that have revolutionized our industry, they've always been not a slight tweak from what came before, but a radical departure from what came before. And that's what I was trying to do with the Edison wedges is they don't look like anybody else's wedges because this is not an incremental change. This is a quantum leap in what the back of a wedge ought to look like, which is what determines what the ball does off the front of the wedge. And, you know, in every golf club, all we care about is how did that shot go, right? And, and I, I kind of leave your listeners with this. When you're thinking about new wedges, there's only one place to try wedges. And that's on your golf course, hitting the shots that you face every day because you know what your wedges do on that par five approach on number four and that green side bunker shot on 10 and that little short side pitch on 13. You know what your wedges do. You can't hit wedges off a mat and know what they're going to do on your course. You can't even hit them on the range and know. And I really believe you need to put the wedges you're thinking about buying in your bag for two, three, four, five rounds to see if they're making a difference or not. And, and, you know, that's what we do. We have a custom demo program. We want people to put our golf clubs on the golf course in their bag to see what they do. And, and that's the only way to evaluate any golf club. I mean, you can hit a driver in a hitting bay with, and look at the numbers. You pretty much translate that to the golf course. If you're getting better launch conditions, better ball speed, that's going to translate to your course because you're hitting it off of a tee. But every other golf club that's going to have turf interaction, I really think you need to see it on, on the turf you're playing, you know, in the golf course and the shots you, you're familiar with. Yeah. So Terry, tell us where we can find more information. Cause I think you're, you're the best person to tell people about this. Well, our website is edisonwedges.com. Uh, there's a pretty full story there about why we did what we did. There's uh, you know, illustration of our data that we collected off our environment of just what these clubs do when you isolate them from a golfer. And there's information, we have a, a process called wedge fit where you can go interact and, and kind of, we ask you some things about your irons and your short game and your scoring and what you have difficulty with. So we can, we want to put the right wedges in your bag. We don't want to leave that to chance. We don't want to leave that to you trying to figure it out. And then you can also learn about this custom demo program that we know what we've made. We know that the vast majority of golfers are going to appreciate it. So we're the only company out there will actually custom build your wedges, put them in your bag, let you go play them and, and play them for two, three, four, five rounds, whether that takes two weeks or five weeks, we want you to play them long enough to, to say, yes, they're different or no, they're not. And if they're not different, send them back and we'll, and we'll send your money back. But if they are different, which you're going to find out they are, they're going to stay trying to help you with those, you know, that 20 or 30% of your game, you know, if I can make 25% of your game 10% better, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stroke and I have two strokes around off of your game and I might make it more than 10% better. So we're real excited about it. The reaction has been great. People are loving the wedges and, and, you know, we're so confident we'll do this custom demo program. So. 
Perfect. Terry, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time and uh, have a great day. Hey, thanks a lot, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it.